The following is a Bible study taught at First Baptist Church of Royal City, Washington. At FBC, we endeavor to handle God's Word accurately, that believers may understand what God is doing through history and what He has planned for believers in the present. We hope you will find this study helpful in better knowing God. More audio and written studies can be found at graceteaching.net under resources. And now, our speaker. We've been going through the New Testament looking at in Christ truth, explicit statements and implied statements. And so now we come to the book of Hebrews. We're in chapter three. And last week we saw, we mentioned this heavenly calling. And then we got into this idea of different houses, Moses' house and Christ's house. And uh, we saw that Moses' house was of a certain character and Christ's house was a certain character. And there was a contrast between the two. We got into dispensations. And we saw that Paul was the steward of the dispensation of grace. He was a steward. He was the one doling out the instructions from the master. Now, before we get into a little bit about what Paul doled out, I want to look at this idea of a heavenly calling. I alluded last week to the fact that I believe when he says heavenly calling, it's another marker for positional truth. What does he mean by when somebody says when you have an adjective that modifies a noun calling you have a heavenly calling what's it describing is it saying it's heavenly because it's coming it's a call that's coming from heaven is it a heavenly calling because it's saying you're going to heaven or could it be both right could it be a call that's from heaven and to heaven I think that's what it is, honestly. It's a calling that's from heaven, and it's to heaven. Now, interestingly enough, the word heaven in the Greek is uvanois. Okay, uvanois, urinos. This is off the top of my head, so I might get the vocab wrong, but it's off this Greek stem, uron, right? Now, but that's not the word here. The word here is ep. Okay. Who noise. So it puts an extra emphasis on up. up. Right. Now let's just do a little study of this word. It occurs six times in the book of Hebrews, which is interesting by itself because if you look up the concordance. There's no other book. It occurs that many times. Is that interesting? There is no other single book that this word occurs six times. What's that say about the book of Hebrews? There's an emphasis on heavenly things. There's an emphasis on the heavens. Now, let's very quickly, um, we're going to go through these verses kind of fast. Um, let's assign some verses. Is everybody ready? Jen, yeah. John 3.12. Tim, 
1 Corinthians 15, 40, 48, and 49. Can you do all three of those? Ronnie, Ephesians 1, 3. Jim, Ephesians 1, 20. Dwight, Ephesians 2, 6. Stan, 3, 10 of Ephesians. Linda, 6, 12. And Peg, 2 Timothy 4, 18. Okay, let's do this. Jen. John 3.12. Bless, pre-bless you. She was about to see. If I told you earthly things and you believe not, how will you believe if I tell you uncovered things? Okay. What is that? That's John recording about Nicodemus and Christ and their conversation. And he says, what is he telling them about? A birth from above. A birth that comes from above. He's talking about spiritual birth. Why is it from above? Because the Holy Spirit was going to come from above on the day of Pentecost. And people would begin to be born from above. It comes from above. It was planned up there and you're born down here. Right? But it, the source of that birth is not of this world. Okay? Tim. Uh, <clears throat> 15.40, and there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one, the glory of the earthly is another. Verse, Verse 48. 48, as is the dusty, so also is the dusty, and as is the heavenly one, so also are those who are heavenly. And Verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. Okay, so talking about the mortal body, that there we have a new body that's going to be geared to the heavens. This body is of the earth, but when we're changed, it's going to be a heavenly body that's geared to the heavens. Don't think so many people, whenever they talk about heaven, oh, everything's related to this earth, right? And everything is how things operate on this earth. No, it's going to be totally different. It's going to be totally different. Totally different. We're going to have new bodies and they're going to be made to function in the heavens. We're not going to play football in the front yard and have a big table with lots and lots of food. No, no, not. Who yeah. was that that did that? That was, uh, who was that scene group? It was back with me and Jim. Yeah. I don't remember. It was like audio adrenaline. I think it, so. That's where. It, it's a big, big house. And it, or maybe that's. Yeah. No, is that Saturday? Yeah. Okay. All right. Next one. Ronnie. Ephesians 1.3. Ephesians 1.3. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessings, blessings in the heavens. Blessings in the heavens. Okay. Ephesians 1.20, referring to the Father's power, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavens. Seated, Christ sat at his right hand in the heavens. Okay. Where it's a plate, there's a location. Dwight. Ephesians 2 6. And raised up uh, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. So he raised us up, seated in heavenly places in Christ. Stan. Ephesians 3 10. 
to the intent that now into the principalities and powers and heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. So again, spirit beings are learning about God by the church where? In the heavenlies, from the heaven. They're in the heavens, they're from the heavens, and I'm sure sometimes they come down here because they can't see that far. <laughs> they're not God. Okay, but they're coming, they're, pa they're passing through the heavens, they're going back and forth, and they're sharing it with others probably. There's, that's why it's from the heavens. Maybe they're assigned to us for a little while and different ones come down and are assigned to us. I don't know, or maybe they're assigned to us, or whatever it is. Linda. Um, Ephesians 6, though, mm -hmm. where we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts, and the, the battle isn't up there. The battle is here on earth. But why is it in the heavenly? Because that's where they come from. They're getting sent out by Satan. Okay. And God has to allow it. I, I picture this is in the throne room and they're getting permission to come and attack, just like in Job. There's a discussion going on up there. And we're weighed and found to be capable. And they come from the heavens. They're not coming from the hell. They're coming from the throne room. And pig. Second Timothy 4, 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So we're going to pass from this. This is Paul talking about his martyrdom, basically. But he's being preserved into a heavenly kingdom. Now that's interesting. Now before we come back to this concept of the heavenly, I want to contrast this with this is a new thing, isn't it? The idea of a heavenly, that your place is somewhere out in, not on this earth. Because what was the promise to the Old Testament saint? It was land. It was this earth. It was Israel. It was Palestine. So if we go back, if we look in uh, Hebrews, back to Hebrews. This would be, if you were a Jew that had really not learned new truth yet in the dispensation of grace, this would be a very, you know, if you were very committed to promises to Israel and the land, and I'm an Israelite, and you're just thinking about all those promises to Abraham and Jacob and, and uh, all that, this would cause some concern. When it says, wherefore, holy brethren, shares of the heavenly calling. I thought I had an earthly calling that I was going to get land. Right. And if you read the rest of the chapter, it's all about Israel's God taking them into the land. He, he promised them a rest 
He's going to take them in the land. And the Israelites didn't believe. And so what happened? They had to wander for 40 years in the wilderness. Okay, they had to wander for 40 years in the wilderness because they didn't believe God concerning the promise to Abraham that he would give them a land of milk and honey. They would, he would take them in the land. He would push out their enemies and bring them in. <laughs> See? And Paul says, partakers of a heavenly calling. See? Now, let's turn back to that earthly calling. Turn back to Exodus. I'm going to assign some more verses. Uh -huh. we, this is how we're going to cover a lot of lots of ground. Jen, Exodus. No, actually, Jen, Genesis 12, 1. And Tim, I'm going to have you read Genesis 15, and you can pick out the specific verses. <laughs> um, I actually had the whole chapter I was going to read really fast, but you can pick out specific verses. Ronnie, I'm going to have you... Uh, Genesis 17. I have 1 through 14 here. Uh, Jim, I'm going to have you do Exodus 3 8. Dwight, I'd like you to read Exodus 6 1 through 8. Stan, Exodus 13 15. And Linda, Exodus 33 1 through 3. Okay, are we ready? Jim, Genesis 12. Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. He's going to take them to a land that I will show thee. Tim. <clears throat> Genesis 15, beginning with verse 13. God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they would be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years, but I will judge the nation whom they will serve. And after they will come out with many possessions, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried in a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here. And the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. And it came about when the sun had set that it was very dark. Behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Canaanite, the Kenizzite, the Cadmonite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Rephaim, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Girgashite, and the Jebusite. I find that fascinating, that description of the land. No, never has Israel possessed all that land. They possess a very small amount of that land. And I was watching a thing about the Hittites the other day. You realize the whole area of Turkey was theirs? That's where they dwelt all over Turkey and beyond. It's a huge area, folks. Huge. Right. This is uh, Genesis 17, verse 1 through 14. Mm -hmm. okay. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him, saying, I am God Almighty. Live in my presence and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you greatly. Then Abraham, um, Abraham fell face down as uh, God spoke with him. As for me, my covenant is with you. You will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram, but your name will be Abraham. For I will make you the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful and will make nations and kings come from you. 
I will keep my covenant between me and you and your future offspring throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring after you. And to you and your future offspring, I will give the land where you are residing on all the land of Canaan as an external possession, and I will be their God. God also said to Abraham, as for you, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations are to keep my covenant. This is my covenant, which you are to keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every one of you males must be circumcised. You must circumcise the flesh of your force and to serve as a sign of the covenant between me and you. Throughout your generations, every male among you at eight days old is to be circumcised. This includes a slave born in your house and one purchased with money and from any foreigner to the one who is not your offspring, a slave born in your house, as well as one purchased with money, must be circumcised. My covenant will be marked in your flesh as I am, as an everlasting covenant. If any male is not circumcised in the flesh of his horse, then that man will be cut off from his people. He has um, broken my command, my covenant. Okay, so that tells you again what all what was all that about? It was talking about what is the land and who gets the land, right? So again, this idea of I'm gonna give you land. Jim, Exodus 3:8. So I have come down to deliver my people from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite. The Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Now that really means heaven, right? That's what that really means, right? No, no it means the land. It, it specifically tells you the land of these peoples right here in the Fertile Crescent between here and here. This is the land. It's not heaven. We have not heard heaven mentioned once. Dwight. <clears throat> Exodus uh, 6 1. When the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for under compulsion he will let them go, and under compulsion he will drive them toward the land. God spoke further to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord, and I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I will not make myself known to them. I also establish my covenant with them and give them the land of Canaan and the land which they sojourn. Further, I have heard the groaning of their sons of Israel because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage, and I will remember my covenant. Says, Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with the outstretched arm and a great judgment. Then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, 
who brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for, for a possession. I am the Lord. So, anybody own any land in Israel? Any of you? No. Not one of us. Does that mean God's been unfaithful to us? No, because it wasn't promised to us. It wasn't promised to us. But he did give it to Israel at that time, and he will give it to them in the future. Linda. Or no, Stan, I'm sorry. I almost skipped you there. Exodus 13, 15. Yes, 13, 5. 13, 5. 1, 5 or 5? 13, 5. Just finally. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I might have said 15. It shall be when the Lord brings you to the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Armorite. The Hittite and the Jezebite, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall observe this rite in this month. Boom. Again, land, land, land. It was a good land. Linda, 33, 1 through 3. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by the name Ezelim. Son of Uri and the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom and understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship. Okay, again, again, land, land, land. Now, in contrast, I want you to turn to Philippians, turn to Philippians with me. Chapter 3. Verse, we're going to read from verse 11. Peg, you want to read verse 11 down through 21? Would that be okay? Yes. Assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, all who are mature should think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers, and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. 
They are focused on earthly things, but our citizenship is in the heavens, from which we are also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So in verse 20 there, for our conversation, our citizenship literally originates, it exists in heavens. Now here you don't have the ep uranois, you have the uranois, but I don't, there's a, I think it's talking about the same thing, but the emphasis is done differently here. If you go back to verse 14, I pressed with a mark for the prize of the high calling. He doesn't call it the heavenly calling here. He calls it the above calling, the ano kleseos. Get up here, guys. Live up here so you can lay hold of that resurrection down there. That resurrection life. Your resurrection life is hid in Christ at the Father's right hand. You have eternal life down here. You can have a little glimpses of it now down here as you press. Why? That's how your citizenship is in the heavens. We're citizens of the heavens, but is it a citizenship that just lets you in the door in the future? Or is it a citizenship that you can live by the rules and regulations of it right now? Now you can live out those, live out as a citizen right now. Now, if you're, uh, you know, I'm sure you can come up with, I'm just using an illustration, but, and I, you know, if I'm a citizen of some foreign country, yes, there's certain rules that apply to me if I'm in a different country from that country. They're limited though, aren't they? They're more limited because you're in the, under the rules and regulations of the country you're in. Even then, you're not a citizen of that other country, maybe. We are citizens of the heavens. We reside on earth. We are pilgrims in a strange land. But we have rights and responsibilities, privileges and responsibilities, because we're citizens of the heavens that we can live according to. And we have a call, we have a challenge to live according to that citizenship. Now turn over to the book of Hebrews. Now I'm going to just say something right here. The recipients of Paul's letter, they were living like citizens of the earth, citizens of Jerusalem, citizens of Israel. And Paul's trying to shake them up and say, you're citizens of the heavens. You're so much more than a citizen of Israel. And then he goes in. He doesn't state it. This, again, goes back to, I think, Pauline authorship, proof, a proof of Pauline authorship, because he's stating this in a very kind way. He doesn't blatantly slap them in the face and say, you dummies, 
Don't you know you have something better? You're a citizen of the heavens, not a citizen of Israel. In fact, you're not even an Israelite anymore. You're a part of the Christ. He doesn't slap in the, in the face like this. It's very soft. It's very soft. You have a heavenly calling. But immediately, that sets aside the earthly calling that they had previously as Jews. But the rest of the chapter, he does exactly that, and he explains how those who have an earthly calling, the original ones that had that were of Moses to the land, they didn't believe. They didn't believe. And they had tough times because of it. And the obvious illusion is, do you want to have tougher times? You're under a greater salvation, as he just said this in the first, in the second chapter. You have a greater salvation. And if those receive payback for unbelief, what are you going to get? If you have a greater salvation, a better calling, a higher calling, and you don't believe, are you going to be 80 years in the in the figurative wilderness? 120? What you know, not 120. We don't live that long. <laughs> Are you maybe it's a lesser time, but a greater suffering? Is God gonna have to you're gonna have to suffer to learn obedience? And that's mentioned in this book. Christ learned obedience through the third things that he suffered in his humanity. And we can learn obedience through things that we suffer. So if you're gonna suffer whether you're obedient or not, but you want to suffer in a place where you're using the resources God is giving you, or do you want to suffer of your own strength? If I'm going to suffer, I want the power that comes from God to endure that suffering. So Paul says, brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle, high priest of our profession, Jesus. Who was faithful? How was Christ faithful? He did everything. He was obedient. See the illusion? He was faithful. You be faithful too. You be faithful to your heavenly calling. Just want to assign a couple more verses. Jim 6 4. Tim. Yep. This is all Hebrews now. Tim 8 5. Ronnie 9 23. Jim eleven sixteen. Dwight 12.22. We'll go just go with that right now. Jen, 6.4. Six, uh, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and who have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. Okay, so here, the heavenly gift. The heavenly gift. A gift from heaven. Okay. So again, it wasn't an earthly promise. It wasn't a promise of land. It was something different. And these people that Paul is writing to had received of it. They had tasted it. They had fully consumed it. Okay. Tim, 8.5. Which ones serve a copy in the shadow of the heavenly things, just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle 
where he says, see, he says that you make all things according to the pattern which is shown you on the mountain. So this is going back to the fact that the earthly tabernacle is just a pattern of a heavenly. So again, this points to a contrast between what the ethnic Jews that Paul wrote to, they were putting an emphasis on the earthly and Paul's telling them, stop, you have, the heavenly one is the thing that matters, not the, earth, the earthly thing kept you away from God. But you have access directly into the throne room because you're in Christ, heavenly calling. See? Ronnie, 9.23. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of all things in the heavens to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves to be purified with better sacrifices than these. So he's going through the, the sacrifice, you know, the earthly tabernacle. He, again, he's showing that the, the, the earthly tabernacle it had its place, but it was not the end-all be-all. It was not the end-all be-all. It had to be cleansed by sacrifice. After sacrifice, after sacrifice, after sacrifice. But the heavenly being so much better and being the real deal, it was cleansed by even better sacrifices, which is the blood of Christ, is it not? Broken down into its different aspects. Propitiation, redemption. Right? Reconciliation. Sacrifices. Jim. 11.16. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Heavenly, again, heavenly. Again, he's continuing to bring out this earthly thing. Eh, there's something better. It's heaven. And then Dwight 12, 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the myriads of angels. As I read this and I'm thinking about these, he's writing to people that are in Jerusalem. And they're thinking, oh, we're going to be pushed out away from the temple. We can't go to the temple. We can't go. What now? What now? What now? Your citizen, you're come unto Mount Zion, even unto the city of the living God, the heaven. There's a different Jerusalem. There's a different Jerusalem. It's a city, not on this earth. But it's in the heavens. Wow. See how he's trying to shift their focus? Get your focus off of the earthly onto the heavenly. We're going to reside in this New Jerusalem for a little while, relatively, right? We're going to come out of eternity into time again, into the universe on this city. We're going to descend with Christ. That's, that city is going to orbit the earth. And we are going to rule with Christ until it shifts into a different form of his rule. And you won't be able to go to the temple. 
Okay. Because there won't be a building. Same thing. That's what isn't that what the scriptures say? So we'll be where God dwells. We'll be God's dwelling place permanently. Okay. Now, coming back to Hebrews 3, can everybody see the emphasis as we did that little study through the book of Hebrews? Heavenly, 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 heavenly. Why is it so important in the book of Hebrews? Because they were focused on the earthly. They are focused on the earthly. And they're not an earthly people anymore. They're a heavenly people now. And they hadn't given that up. And Paul had failed in helping them make that transition earlier. And now he's trying to make sure he isn't a failure. Sometimes the greatest successes come through failure. Anybody heard that before? Yeah. We learn the most through our failures. So Hebrews chapter 3. As we continue to read down in verse 2, who is faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who had built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he that built all things is God. And Moses truly was faithful in all his house. Now, see, as I look at this, my first thing that I might ask in, you know, if you're listening to my argument that Paul is the one that gave out this information. Moses didn't build the house. He was giving in, given in, he was the steward. But here he's described as having, he was faithful. It's alluded to that he built this house. He who is, every house is built by someone, but he that built all things, God builds the house. And he goes on, and Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant. Moses didn't build the house. He was a servant in the house. God built that house. The dispensation of law. Now, what's to me is screamingly absent. I didn't get the right metaphor there, but you understand what I'm saying. It's just nails on the chalkboard. Glaringly obvious. Glaringly obvious. Because Paul's not mentioning it. Again, why? Because he had done them wrong. So he's alluding to this. He's alluding to this. So I come to this and I'm looking at this going, okay, what were the things that were revealed to build the dispensation of grace? What is a dispensation built of? It's truth. It's truth. It's revelation. <laughs> and so we, we uh, you see, I got up here written down Pauline mysteries. Okay. Let's turn to Romans. I'm going to assign some verses now. <laughs> well, we left off with Linda, correct? Or no, Dwight. So Stan. I want a Romans 11.25. Linda, Romans 16.25 and 26. Peg, 1 Corinthians 2.7 through 16. Jen, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 53. Tim, 
Ephesians 1, 9, and 10. Ronnie, Ephesians 3, 3, and 4. Jim, Ephesians 3, 9. Let's just go with that. Let's go ahead and go, Stan. Romans 11, For I, I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Okay. So the first poly mystery is that Israel, in part, is hard temporarily. So the conclusion is God isn't directly working with Israel today. That's new revelation. That's new revelation, folks. Unrevealed in the Old Testament. God is not working with Israel today. <coughs> that was the next one's going to be Romans 16, 25, and through 27. I'm a coffee deficient. I have plenty in here. I just need to drink it. You know, kind of like water. Everybody carries around a bottle of water, but then you never drink it. You know, I have it. I just don't drink it. Um, now, we're going to see later that the Pauline mysteries are for so that we can grow and mature. Now, how is that maturing to the New Testament Christian? Has anybody seen Christians be completely put off track because they're focused on trying to find Messiah all through the Old Testament? What, what did he get hurt? Romans 16, 25 through 27. We'll get to it in a second. But has anybody seen that? Where Christians are, their whole focus is in the Old Testament, trying to find Christ in every verse and every chapter and every, yeah. Has anybody been distracted by uh, focusing on the, the promised land and running to the promised land and trying to find artifacts or something that Jesus touched or somewhere where Jesus walked? Yeah. Now I'm not saying that, you know, Tim mentioned that you want might have the opportunity to go to Israel this next year. Hey, I would love to go to Israel. I, I might try to, I'm not saying don't go to Israel and don't enjoy learning about history and learning about you learn more about things when you can put the geography to some there's some places in scripture that everything comes to alive when you actually see the different geography. Okay. So I'm not I'm not downplaying the 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 but that doesn't that's not what makes us mature. It's God's word that makes us mature. That can help, that can add to your understanding. But there are people that their whole Christian life is diverted because they think that there's something more special about the promised land, about People that are ethnically Jews and they get completely diverted in their Christian life. A Jew that becomes a Christian is the people of God today. A Gentile that becomes a Christian is the people of God today. 
stop, period. That's it. Okay. So this is very important truth. And this was new truth and Paul revealed it. Had the Hebrew Christians understood this truth yet? I don't think they really did. I don't think they understood this truth yet. Romans 16, 25 through 27, Linda. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and to the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept sacred since the world began, but now has been manifest by the prophetic scriptures, has been revealed to all nations according to the commandments of the everlasting God, for obedience to the faith, to God alone, wise be glory to God, glory to Jesus Christ forever. Good. Thank you. So this, you know, a lot of people get, this is a little hard to put together because of the way it's written, but um, when you string all these different clauses together and understand what it's talking about, understand what a mystery is, this can't be talking about the gospel of initial salvation because it wasn't a mystery. This is a gospel that is able to establish us in grace that will lead unto an obedience from faith. Okay, so it has to do with the new identity of Jesus Christ, the humanity and the glorified resurrected one that can establish us because of grace. Okay, so... The Christian is established by the good news that the grace of God is manifested to the Christian in Jesus Christ it is unto an obedience from faith. Okay, we're not going to flesh all that out right now, but that is a new truth. That is a new truth. Unrevealed in the past. In the past, under law, what were you matured by? Fear. That's what it said. Wise. It would make you wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. First Corinthians 2, 7. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed for the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would have crucified the Lord of glory. They would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the hearts of men imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. 
for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Very good. So here we have this mystery described in verse six and seven that it's a mystery concerning the wisdom of God. How are we going to understand the wisdom of God? It's because we have the spirit. And the spirit reveals these things to the spiritual man who then discerns these things. And what are these things? It's the mysteries. It's the mysteries. We can understand not only have these mysteries and it's revealed, but we can understand the value of them. Again, unrevealed in times past. Because the mysteries, the knowledge wasn't there. It was in God's mind. It was there. It was in God's mind. But it wasn't revealed. It was hidden in God's mind. And the spirit who is God can help us to understand because we have the spirit. And having the spirit, we can think God's thoughts because we have the mind of Christ because we're joined to him. Everybody see the, the following? And this all goes back to chapter one where it says, bow from him, are you in Christ Jesus who of God is made unto us wisdom, semicolon, even righteousness and sanctification and redemption, positional truths, all three of them. So the spirit is there so we can search the deep and know and understand the deep things of God. What are those deep things? The deep things concerning us, that we are righteousness in Christ, that we are sanctified in Christ, that we are redeemed in Christ. And that through thinking on those things, we can live that way see we can utilize the mind of christ and unlock the hidden wisdom of god that brings us to jim first corinthians 15 Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall all be changed. Okay, oh, that's that's good. Thank you. Did you want to read more? No. Okay. Where are we at here? The Christian is to anticipate the rapture in which he, as a living participant, will not die, but be changed. You guys realize that? There's a whole lot of Christians, I trust, that have had that hope, but they died. Okay. The second thing, if, if you're not part of this, then you look forward to the next thing, which is that you're going to be brought back in a body, in a new body. Okay, you're going to be brought back in a body and you will get a new body. <laughs> Different from the body you had here. It'll be that body that's subject to the heavens. But if you're living today, which all of you are, okay, I don't see any zombies here. I don't see any walking dead here then we ought to be anticipating the fact that Christ could appear at any moment and we wouldn't die. We would see Shekinah glory 
the glory of God. And our faces don't melt off like Indiana Jones <laughs> when they open the Ark of the Covenant. In fact, I get better looking. You know, that was as a kid watching that. That was like, oh, I still to this day don't like horror movies. I don't watch it. I don't watch Chucky. I don't know who that is. You know, any of those horror shows, Friday the 13th, Jay, I don't watch those shows. Because I saw Indiana Jones when I was a little kid. I wasn't allowed to watch Star Wars, anything with that type of stuff. I wasn't allowed to watch. The only superhero that I was allowed to know anything about was Jesus Christ. Okay. Now I'm not, you know, whatever. Other, you know, other people have different ways of doing things, but that's how I was raised. I'm just stating how it was. But I saw Indiana Jones, and that to me was just frightening. <laughs> when they open the Ark of the Covenant and their face melts off, I'm sure I had a few nightmares about that. Okay. We're going to see Christ. And the opposite of that's going to happen. We're going to become better. Okay. We're going to become better. And, you know, that people often speculate on what that is. You know, is it going to be you at your prime? You know, what was your prime? You know, for me, when you had more hair, you know, it was about 21. No, I'm, no. I'm still not there yet. I'm still not. I haven't hit my prime yet. I'm becoming bitter and bitter. Um, you know, so we all have, you know, different, we have different, you know, in certain ways that's true. You know, maybe, you know, the older are wiser, right? And they have, they don't make the mistakes they had in the younger, but you had that youth and the physicality, but you didn't have the experience, right? We are never at our best in our whole life. And then when we're young, we have the physicality part. But maybe not the smarts and the intelligence and the experience. When you get older, you have the smarts and the intelligence and the experience, but not the body to go with it. Man, timing, right? But we, but literally, if you took the best of everything in your life, the physicality and the wisdom of age, and put it all together to have this fictional being of you, you're going to be better than that by an unmeasurable amount. You're going to be like Christ. Okay. And I don't think any of us will really wrap our mind around that in this life. We can't measure it to anything in our experience. We ought to be anticipating that. It was a mystery. It was never revealed all revealed in it was part of the heavenly calling. We don't have an earthly calling, we have a heavenly calling. We will come back to this next week and continue on our study of the general truth in the book of Hebrews. Getting close to me, I think. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Remember your verse. You can practice reading it all week. I don't know if we'll remember that, but we'll come back to this next week. Let's close with a word there. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We so thank you for, for uh, your, your scriptures that you've given us. All of it is for us, but not all of it is to us. It is uh, incumbent on us to read it all, for it is all beneficial to us. But the degree 
of usefulness to us is different. Some things are directly applicable and some things they're applicable in the sense that they tell us about you and your faithfulness and your mercy. And other things are to us in the sense that they directly relate to our salvation and what we're to do, who we are and where we're going. And so, Father, we just are so encouraged as we read the book of Hebrews and understand that there are believers who have something better. They've been told a little bit about things, but maybe don't understand it all. And we all fall in that place sometimes. We don't know it all. And we do come to a better understanding over time. Or sometimes we forget things and we need to be reminded. And so, Father, we thank you for your word. We just ask that we'd be those that would take it in and we'd allow it to change us from the inside.